Welcome to the fourth episode of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Muscat, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about one woman's adventurous career to make it to the top of the ranks in CX, her views on CX leadership, and the links between delivering for customers, employees, and the communities we serve being the key to sustainable business outcomes. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. Our guest is a passionate linguist from the UK who can speak eight different languages. Her career began in Copenhagen following a degree in Danish where she found employment at the contact centre with British Airways. After an incredible 20 years at BA in various customer and commercial roles, she went on to become the Chief Customer Officer at Simply Help. Please welcome to the show CX sister Kate Thornton. Hi Kate. Hi Claire. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, the weather's awful outside, though, here in the UK, isn't it? <laughs> it is pretty grim, but the sun's coming out next week, so uh, let's, let's cheer for that. Yeah, keep our fingers crossed. Um, so let's jump straight in there then. Uh, Kate, I know we both share a love of travel, and you've had more experience than most of living and working abroad. I was just wondering, is there much of a difference in the working conditions for women in the Nordic countries you lived in compared to the UK? I certainly think policy-wise, there's um, a big difference. I was talking to someone the other day and explaining that in Norway, where I spent three and a half years uh, as a woman uh, going on a maternity leave, you get 49 weeks or pay or 59 at uh, 80% pay. And their face, when I told them, was just a, just a picture. So, yeah, definitely at a policy level. And I think that changes kind of expectations. Uh, and so it's a better place. I'm not saying it's perfect. Um, there are still issues, but it was where I started my working career. Uh, and I think that was a real strength. And I, I'm grateful for having sort of come up through, through that environment and being given the opportunity to be a woman leader very young. So at the age of 28 in Norway, I was running a £60 million business and, um, and nobody questioned it at all. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I was thinking kind of reflecting on that point that there seems to be quite a difference in how the Nordic countries treat society and community generally. Do you have any insight into why that is? Yeah, I think there is, uh, and, and I would say that not all the Nordic countries are completely identical. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I think that's a very geeky Scandinavian comment. But, but there are some clear themes that run through it. And one of the things that is clear is that they prioritise the collective uh, interests rather higher relative to individual interests than, than we do. Um, there's, a, there's a concept which is very well known in Scandinavian culture called uh, the Yanta Law, which is all about um, kind of you as an individual understanding your place in society. Um, I think that has some really positive aspects to it. It has some less positive aspects, but it is very much more... Yeah, about the collective and collective priorities. What are the less positive aspects of that? Um, I, well, I think there is, there can be some positives around individual um, ambition and taken to an extreme, it can suppress, um, you know, people's, people's ambition and people's willingness to stand out. So 
I can remember participating in a restructuring exercise in Scandinavia where I literally had to talk people into writing applications for jobs because they felt uncomfortable putting them forward for roles if that was going to be at the expense of other people. So as with many things in life, I think it's good to have balance. Um, But on the whole, um, I've lived in four different Nordic countries. They've all been fantastic places to work. They regularly sort of come very high up in all of the world happiness and equality indexes. Uh, And so it might not be perfect, but it's pretty good. Uh, And we could probably learn a lot from it. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to community again shortly. But just picking up on what you said there about how much responsibility you had as a relatively young woman. Did you say 26? Uh, 28, I think I was. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, at 23, I was running a hotel and restaurant on a graduate scheme. Um, Fresh out of university. I had spent my whole formative years working in that industry, but it was definitely a lot early on how did you feel having that much responsibility at 28 was it a struggle for you to make some of the changes in your lifestyle required to do that or did you find it quite simple over there um it was exciting I was very aware of um a degree of pressure and expectation I was taking on the role from uh a guy who'd been doing that role for sort of 30 years and was a real bastion of Norwegian travel industry. Um, But um, by and large, I think people were very generous and very welcoming and very supportive. I did have, um, I can remember one issue with somebody in the office who I knew quite well, a really nice guy, but quite a lot older than me. And he clearly thought that he was onto a bit of a winner when I got made his boss because he thought he was going to be able to do whatever he wanted and run rings around me. Um, And it took us a little bit of time to uh, readjust that um, relationship. Um, But it was an amazing job and Norway is a terrific place to to live and work. So, you know, by and large, my memories of it are entirely positive. But of course, you know, there's challenge. There's challenge in anything worth doing. And, you know, when you step up and take on a new role, you've got to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just you made me think about remembering what that felt like the first time as a young female leader, having to manage older people and particularly older guys. And um, find, I personally found it quite challenging to take that role I don't know whether I'd always believed in respecting your elders and and similarly had guys thinking that they were going to be able to run rings around me and and finding that confidence to set boundaries and actually stick to them (laughs) it seemed it felt quite an alien concept to me to do that um how did you manage to make that transition what was it about your leadership capability do you think that enabled you to do that so easily yeah I I don't really remember, if I'm honest, this many um, this many years on. But I think I had uh, a clear vision for the job that needed doing, and um, and believed that I could do it, and was prepared to take the time, you know, working on the relationship and um, you know talking to the people in the team um, to get them on side. So you know, definitely not a dictatorial approach. Mm-hmm. And you know, Nordic leadership culture isn't dictatorial. It's very, you know, very non-hierarchical. Um, you know, consensus building um, is a strong element of it, and and that, that helped. 
So it clearly stood you in good stead because you've experienced a level of success and seniority that most women in CX only ever dream of achieving. Um, what would you say the biggest moves were in your career path that meant you got to the position of chief customer officer? Yeah, good question. And I often reflect on that. For many, many years, I would have told you that it was about luck um, and being in the right place at the right time and people liking me and being helpful. And all of that is, without doubt, really valuable in a career. But actually, when I go back and I analyze kind of the biggest moves I made were all moves that uh, kind of I proactively um, advocated for. Um, and I think it's quite typical of women, maybe, to sort of slightly downplay mm. uh, their own agency in constructing their career and maybe hang back when, uh, when men don't, um, which is frustrating and pretty stupid, really. Um, so I definitely think uh, putting my hand up to take on that role in Norway um, was a big move um, for me. Uh, then a few years later, when I was back in the UK, um, my um, boss left. I was doing a, a European marketing role at the time, uh, and I put myself forward to step into his shoes, uh, which I then got, and that put me into a position where I ended up running uh, all of the marketing, contact centre and distribution activity for British Airways across all of Europe and um, Africa. Um, you know, which was uh, which was a big job and a fascinating job, and uh, lots more travel and lots more culture we could talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, another huge role for me was actually then putting up my hand up subsequently to um, try to get promoted into the director of marketing role at British Airways, and uh, I can remember having a conversation with my female boss at the time. Um, when the company announced that they were going to recruit externally to say, I don't understand why aren't you going to look at me because you told me I've got potential. And she said, that's a great question. Why don't we construct a bit of a plan? Uh, and I got to um, kind of sit around um, her boss's table for a little while. And at the end of that period, he asked me to take on the product and service role. And that purely came about because I put up my hand proactively and said, I don't understand why I'm not in the running for a promotion. Um, consider me uh, and put myself in a position where I could show my leadership um, and, and that was that was another amazing role running the whole product and service portfolio for British Airways globally kind of massively high profile and, and complex and interesting and challenging uh, and rewarding and all of those things uh, and having done that uh, when the time finally came to leave British Airways I was able to uh, put myself in a position to uh, be considered and ultimately appointed as chief customer officer for Simply Help. Mm. That is an incredible story. Um, a couple of things that you said just then, I think we need to delve a little bit further into. So you said you would have previously said that it was down to luck or being in the right place at the right time. Having had lots of these conversations now with women in CX, it sounds like that imposter syndrome challenge affects all of us at some point in our career. What was it that enabled you to get that perspective now where you don't see it as that and you can see it was your own agency and actively raising your hand and going for those challenges that made the difference for you? 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I've dodged imposter syndrome entirely. I think it still sort of comes back in waves. But um, I, I think it is an example of learning by doing. Um, so, you know, I know that by having the proactive conversation um, with my boss and saying, I don't understand why this isn't happening, why aren't you considering me, I made something happen. Um, so I have positive experience of the fact that when you kind of when you try to take control and agency, it is a better it is a better result. And I think also just reflecting on the fact that it is um, it's just a bit dumb not to. Mm. I mean, I mean, it's easy to do. I'm not criticizing people because I've been in the same shoes. But I mean, how can you expect other people to know what you want if you don't actually tell them? So I'm not a mind reader. Who else is a mind reader? And then, too, I've read so much research that indicates that women um, are incredibly hard on themselves when thinking about promotion. So I think I read something in um, the Harvard Business Review that suggested that women look to match themselves at something like 80 to 90 percent of the um, criteria on a job brief before they'll put themselves forward. Mm. And men are prepared to apply at about 40% of the criteria. Yeah, I've seen that one too. And, and I, you know, and I think back is so dumb, isn't it? Because that means that so many very qualified and talented women are not putting themselves for, for, for opportunities and then sitting back in frustration when, frankly, less talented men are bullshitting their way into the job. <laughs> and, you know, that makes no sense for the individual women. It makes no sense for the organisations that they're working in. Uh, and it makes no sense for kind of the wider world um, we live in. So um, I think we just have to challenge ourselves to go for it. And I'm not underestimating that there are barriers um, to women. It's not obviously all about our own actions, but I do think uh, the only actions we can really change are our own. Mm. And I do think there's more that we can do to champion ourselves um, and our female colleagues uh, to help advance our position. Mm. I'm not sure that really answered your question. but uh, It it, it does. I think it leads me a bit deeper into um, what I'm picking up on is that you were able to get really clear about what you wanted. So rather than waiting for opportunities to arrive at your door and perhaps taking them, perhaps not, you could see what you wanted your life and your career to look like. And as a result, questioned when the opportunity for the marketing director role came up to say, well, why not? (laughs) Yeah. Help well, me. Yeah. Um, again, I, you know, and I imagine, you know, you'll have similar experience. I mean, the clearer you are about what you want, the easier it is to tell other people and therefore um, for them to help you to get there. But it's easier also it is for you to, to build a path and a plan to get there. And I wouldn't say that I've always been clear about what I want at all times in my career. Me neither. Um, and I'm also very open to the fact that there is real benefit sometimes in just being open and um, receptive to opportunities that, that come along. Um, but I do know that at the times in my career when I have been most clear and focused, uh, I have had a lot of momentum and confidence mm. and it has helped propel me, propel me forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think just to echo what you said, being able to control the controllables in these situations that is something that we can work on to become more clear we can get coaching mentoring and support to 
have those conversations where we get clearer on what we want. I'm the same as you. I haven't always been clear, um, but I know for sure when I started this business, my mm-hmm. consulting business, um, I was the clearest I've ever been in my life. And it made it so much easier to move forward with momentum, to use your yes. word, um, because I had the vision and the energy to go and out there into the world and get what I wanted. So, yeah, I think that's definitely something that resonates with me in what you said. Mm. And, and you've built an awesome business. <laughs> you know, and we started off by talking about Scandinavia. I mean, I, you know, one of the clearest things I've ever been, you know, or one of the things I've been clearest about in my life was I was determined to study Danish at university. Yeah. <laughs> and and that was such a clear choice. And because I knew that with certainty. I had the energy to pursue that and make it happen, despite the fact that everybody around me was saying, are you completely and utterly crazy? What are you going to do with the degree in Danish? Yeah. Well, springboard my career at British Airways for 20 years. That's what I'm going to do with it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, but if I hadn't had that clarity of purpose and thought and the energy that came with it, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you now. Mm. no that's that's a really great thing to reflect on isn't it that the choices that we make lead us to paths that perhaps we didn't quite envisage but if it's been driven by a clear purpose and a set of values that are true to ourselves it leads us to mm-hmm. the right place ultimately I like that okay so moving on to a, a bit more of a chat around CX leadership um this is a bit of a CX geeky question for all the listeners out there but with many companies still not having clear accountability for customer experience at board level, I just wondered, in your opinion, what makes a really great chief customer officer? And where do you think that job title or responsibility should sit within the organization in order for it to be most effective and make a difference? Yeah. So I'm not sure that there is a one size answer to that. Um, and you know, organizations will all be in their own situations and at different stages of maturity. Um, and to some extent, to build great customer experiences, you need everybody around the business to be advocating for the customers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's nirvana. Um, but I do think there is evidence that having a chief customer officer in a strong position of influence around the business can make a big difference, whether that's on the executive team and interacting regularly with the board or on the board itself. And I know there have been some recent great examples of chief customer officers being promoted up to board level, and I think that's really encouraging. And actually, particularly at this time when consumer expectations and needs are changing around us so fast and businesses are having to adapt um, more than ever to, to meet those changing needs, it makes absolute sense to me that they are putting the voice of the customer fair and square around the board table. Mm-hmm. I mean, to come back to your original question, um, I mean, you've got to be passionate about your customers, of course you have, and really walk the talk. Uh, I think you have to be equally passionate about giving voice to the people in your organization who are interfacing with customers most often. Uh, and there is such a strong link between employee experience and customer experience. Uh, and so really understanding that um, environment is is vital. You have to be good at telling stories, uh, getting un- underneath the skin of the stories that your customers are telling you. Uh, but you also need to be good with the numbers and you have to be able to connect 
um, that customer story to whatever the metrics are that matter um, to the business. And I think you have to be really good at building alliances and collaborating across silos because no chief customer officer is ever going to control all of the levers that need to come together yes. to build that brilliant customer experience. Mm. So quite a lot of things you need to be able to do. I think. Mm. Yeah, and absolutely the point that customer experience can't be a function that controls everything. Uh, we need a vision for how CX works across the entire organization, but those yeah. levers and responsibility is always going to be split. So the power of influence, I think, for anyone in CX at whatever level you're at <laughs> um, is definitely a capability that one needs to build early on. And as one advances into leadership roles, becomes even even more critical. Um, I just had a question just because I'm really curious. Um, my experience of big companies has tended to be that they want to grow generalist leaders that have experience of other areas that are non-customer in order to be taken seriously as a potential director. So have all your roles always evolved through various customer roles? Or have you ever uh, worked outside of a customer function? So I I have always worked in uh, have I always worked in? I predominantly worked in commercial functions. I mean, that, I think it depends on your definition of what a customer function is. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you work from the hypothesis that everything that gets done in the business ultimately affects the customer. <laughs> yeah, somehow. fair enough. Um, but I mean, I've worked in sales, distribution, pricing. I've run contact centers, mm. marketing, product service. Mm -hmm. um, so all of them have had very sort of directly traceable impact mm. on customers. Mm. But then you could also say that it's been quite a broad generalist career. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Um, I just thought it was interesting for the listeners to consider kind of career paths and steps, especially if you're in CX right now in a more junior role, perhaps considering looking outside of that immediate sphere now could stand you in good stead later down the line so it's great to hear that that traceability to customer albeit in different functions um is a good route to be able to get that generalist leadership experience and be taken as more than just a customer person or a, yeah. a specialist sorry that's that's that mm -hmm. i think that's what i'm trying to say the difference between generalist and specialist um but for if anyone's got aspirations for leadership at that level they're likely to have to make some switches because <laughs> it isn't a direct ladder is it you can't be a customer experience manager customer experience head of or whatever and then customer experience director chief customer officer i don't think i've ever met anybody that's had a career path that looks like that <laughs> maybe in the future but i mean when i was starting out i don't think anybody even knew what customer experience was so i mean i just don't think it was a thing was a thing um, <laughs> that i can remember and for anyone i think there is benefit in having um, a bit of organisational breadth and depth, mm, mm, yeah. um, and the ability depth. Mm. to, and, and also operational, and to understand mm. different perspectives and the language, the language and the things that are going to trigger mm. the people in other parts of the organisation that you need to support. I also think it's incredibly useful to have had some frontline experience. So yeah. I started out on the phones in the contact centre. But actually, one of the most powerful things I ever did was to um, train an operator's cabin crew in the final six years of my senior management career at British Airways. So I would 
uh, kind of sit in the head office and do my head office thing. And then every 90 days, I put on a uniform and literally push a trolley in uniform on board the aircraft as the most junior crew member. Um, and that ability to bridge in some ways the experience and the conversation between those two parts of the business was absolutely invaluable to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Similarly, I spent eight years on the front line in customer service doing pretty much every job under the sun. And I absolutely trace back my ability to be such a good CXer now because I remember the reality <laughs> of what it was like and also in management and leadership um, on the front line of customer service and customer experience working in like hospitality mainly was I, I think one of the most formative things about my pragmatism and realism um it's good to remember yes going back to the floor in my supermarket days every Christmas every Easter we'd be back on the shop floor stacking the shelves and remembering what a, a truly difficult and challenging job it is especially at peak times um, and yeah getting to see the executives doing the same thing I think for everyone in the organization was a really motivating and an inspiring thing because it also made them more relatable and believable because the colleagues on the shop floor in a supermarket had been working alongside the executives together yeah. in these really busy times and that sense of community and being on one team and it not being the ivory tower and the um, the support center um, really did help to bring us together. Which brings me on to my next question. We've spoken at length about customer experience and employee experience being two halves of the same coin during these podcasts. But you're one of the few people that I've heard talk about the notion of community in CX discussions. I know we talked about it at the beginning in relation to Scandinavian culture, but I just wondered if you could tell me a little bit more about your perspective on how these things all fit together, particularly as regards community. Yeah, that. I guess I've been on a bit of a journey through my career. So as we've talked about, I started off in very well in a customer facing role and customer centricity has been an anchor point in my career. Um, as we've also just talked about then particularly through my experience working as cabin crew and the work that I did at British Airways on developing customer service culture, I became increasingly convinced of the link between EX and CX uh, and really the, the, the critical role of leadership decisions and behaviours in setting the context uh, in which colleagues can deliver the optimum customer experience. I became quite disenchanted um, at one point around a perceived tension between uh, an extreme focus on shareholder value and the ability of the business to make the long-term decisions that needed to be made to protect that employee and customer experience. And that led me on a mission to explore social purpose and um, community value creation more in the context of the business. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remain convinced that, uh, you know, when businesses can align the creation of value for all of their stakeholders, um, their shareholders, yeah, businesses have to make money, investors need to make a return, but also their customers, their colleagues and the community in which they exist, it is better for everyone yeah, because we are all ultimately connected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some really, really powerful examples of businesses that do that well. And it's not an excuse for not being commercial. Mm. Uh, in fact, at Simply Health, which you know is a business founded with a great sense of social purpose, we used to talk about the fact that it actually makes commerciality more important. Mm. Because when part of your money, you think about the role that your money and your activity is playing in your wider community and potentially serving uh, the needs of people in the community who are considerably less fortunate than you are, um, I think it gives a real urgency to and a real significance to that business's commercial performance. Mm. 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 Do you think that being able to demonstrate that in a tangible way is difficult to some extent? Because I'm thinking, you know, there are clear brand benefits to behaving in a way which is overtly doing good in the community and in society, but it's not that easy to measure. Um, you can have metrics like love and trust, for example, which I mm-hmm. hope more companies are going to embrace those as the golden metrics in the future. But what we tend to see in reality is more of a pull towards things like net promoter score. Or <laughs> you can tell by the way I said that I'm not too too keen. Or <laughs> or those kinds of things. If, do you have any thoughts on um, how CXs can help to influence? people particularly at a senior level about the importance and value of community cx and ex yeah um so i think you can measure probably uh on a number of different levels so in terms of the actual customer experience um the more that you can work with your insight team to understand what the drivers are of your customers' purchase behavior and their kind of likelihood to recommend, um, the closer you can get to that. And certainly I've seen powerful evidence that suggests that all things being equal, uh, customers will increasingly um, spend more or stay longer with brands that are behaving ethically and creating um, positive impact in their society. It doesn't get you off the hook of having to have a relevant product and service at the right price point. Uh, but if they're comparing between two organisations with product parity, then uh, sort of social responsibility can give you some competitive advantage. So that's one angle. Um, on the employee side, I think there is very good evidence to suggest that people are increasingly looking to work for companies that are um, having a, a positive impact on um, the wider society, mm. uh, as well as also providing a very strong employee value proposition, and that's you know massively in focus now. Um, so you might want to look at the business case from the talent acquisition. Cost, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are interesting ways increasingly of actually measuring your social impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, measures like social return on investment. Uh, and at a board level, um, my view is that whether we like it or not, we are going to see more regulation around uh, the way that companies behave and the impact that they're having, whether it's on the climate or whether it's on society as a whole. And I think it'll be very interesting to see post uh, the COVID crisis 
um, kind of quite how that agenda changes as more and more companies are taking money from the public purse. What are we going to expect in return? Mm. So you can look at it from a risk management angle. How do I manage against the risk of um, that regulation that's coming in? Or you can look at it from the perspective that says, actually, we are likely to be expected to do more of this in the future. It is likely to become more of an expectation of our consumers and our people and the people who regulate us. Mm. Uh, and therefore, if we can do this smart and we can do it early and we can do it authentically, we may be able to build some competitive advantage from that. Right. Mm. Mm. So perhaps needing to have a slightly broader, more balanced scorecard in the future rather than the metrics we were looking at pre-COVID-19. There might be a requirement to broaden that horizon now, um, and especially for CXs as well, to consider how the work we do in proposition development, um, customer journey design can help to trigger more that, more benefit than um, just ease and effort, but also yep. community and social benefit too. I love that. Okay, so... Um, this is it final question um and i'm sure all the listeners at home would just love us to summarize we'll love you to summarize what would your top pieces of advice be for any women with aspirations to reach the chief customer officer level role what would you what would you say to them hey well go for it uh, <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> uh look and, and clearly don't be afraid to ask um don't be afraid to tell people that that's what you want. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help as you go along the way. I mean, one of the one of the things that I wish I had learned so much earlier in my career is just how helpful it is to ask for help, mm -hmm. um, and how rewarding so many people find to give it. So I read another piece of research that really stuck with me recently that said that people on average underestimate the likelihood that other people will help them by 50%. I saw it too. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, ask for help because it will help you and it will make uh, someone else uh, feel good. Yeah, mm. and ask for those opportunities. Don't let less qualified people get there before you uh, mm -hmm. and feel frustrated. AKA the, the people that go for jobs that perhaps they're less qualified for than we are. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> but if you don't apply, no one's going to give you the job by and large. So. Exactly. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So thank you so much to today, Kate. I, I know when I first met you during the lockdown on our very first Zoom that I felt this real affinity with you. And you've definitely brought and shown your CX sisterhood. Um, to the audience today and I'm absolutely inspired by your story that I guess I would summarize as somebody who absolutely decided what she wanted and went for it despite what other people said with the example of you know picking Danish as the career choice uh, sorry the, the university choice and being brave enough to continually ask for what you wanted and when you were faced with Block, block, blockages and barriers you continue to say no I want more and I think for all the women that are listening here today they'll see you know the absolutely amazing impact that you've had on customer employee experience and also the communities you've worked in and will no doubt be uh, reaching for much higher opportunities and aspirations now um, and perhaps even saying I'm going to go for that job that they weren't considering before they heard you today so thank you so much for being on the show thank you 
Well, thank you, Claire, too. And I think what you're doing here with this podcast is awesome. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Just one more thank you to say to Joachim Thorne and our sponsors at Effectly for producing the Women in CX podcast today. And I do really hope to see you all again next week. Thanks, Kate. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, your host, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show and would like to know more, please check out womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Or please leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud or Spotify. Join us again next week when I'll be talking to a woman whose path took her from leaving school without any qualifications to joining the army where she got into technology and the challenges she now faces in driving customer centricity within a traditionally male-dominated technology environment.